The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. Please stand for a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 9 through 18. At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the case between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien that is with him. You shall not be partial in your judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And we are in the second week of our series on Deuteronomy. As you'll probably hear me say very often throughout this series, Deuteronomy is preaching. It's three sermons of Moses. And so what we'll be doing is preaching, preaching. We're going to be preaching the sermons Moses preached to the people. And as we looked at last week in Deuteronomy, the people of God stand on the plains of Moab. Uh, They are at this amazing moment in the generational handoff with the first wandering generation that sinned and died in the desert. And now the next generation stands on the edge of promise. It's a moment of renewal. It's a moment that, as I mentioned last week in the sanctuary, that I believe our church has our own Plains of Moab moment, and that's the occasion for renew. We are handing off from generation to generation in this season of the life of the church. We are standing, looking ahead to the next generation and calling for renewal to all that God says and does. So I believe Deuteronomy is going to be incredibly helpful for all of us uh, in the days to come. This sermon, this morning, you read that text, and I, I asked myself early in the week, you know, how do you, how do you preach the gospel out of this? And it occurred to me this truth. Jesus loves you by giving leaders in the church for you. That's actually part of his gospel love. He gives people who he's called to nurture and care for you. As we consider that, as we begin to pray, 
I want to also just say I'll, I'll be praying for our middle school as they're on a big bus going down to Florida right now and Calaqua, praying for their travel safety and their time there. So let's pray together. Father, we do lift up to you our dear uh, middle school children and members of this community, the leaders that are going, the, the staff. We do pray that you would protect them as they go down to Florida, that you would give them safety, that you would um, enable them to stay well all week, but more than anything, that they would be encouraged in their faith in Jesus Christ. May you foster community among them that indeed as we're even studying in Deuteronomy that the next generation may be faithful to the covenant that you have given to us. We ask this in hope and in faith and we pray this in your name. Amen. You may have heard me reference many of Wendell Berry short stories or novels, but one particular short story of Wendell Berry was, is called A Burden. And it's about a man named Leonidas Polk. What a great name, Leonidas. That's why they referred to him as Uncle Peach. It just was easier. Uncle Peach is described in this story as older, grayer, and worse for the wear, traveling at a slower pace out among the thorns and thistles that the ground brought forth, but still on the same route. In other words, Uncle Peach is perpetually stuck. He's worse for the wear. He is one who loves strong drink too much. And his sister, Dory, has been faced with taking care of Uncle Peach. And she said this, he's one of the least of these, my brethren, <laughs> but a qualification for my care that blood connection only compounded. And then she says this, if one of the least of Christ's brethren happened to be her brother, then the obligation was as clear as the penalty. And then this profound line, quietly, Almost submissively, Dory propped herself up against Uncle Peach because she was opposed to his ruin. She was opposed to his ruin. What a great picture of the calling God gives those who are to lead God's people. Biblical leadership in the church is having people committed to you that God has called who will be opposed to your ruin at all cost. Who will prop themselves up against you that you might know Jesus, that you might love Jesus, that you might obey Jesus. And that's the call of leaders in the church, that against all hope, we, we prop ourselves up. And one of the great gifts Jesus gives you is that when you're falling and stumbling, he's given people in the church to prop you up. You're not alone. Don't you want to live 
in the gift of having loving, realistic, sacrificial shepherds and leaders who are opposed to your ruin. You see the church just like a family with parents or just like a school with teachers and principals or just like military with officers and officials and ranks. The church is a place where God's delegated his authority because that's what he does. He's the sovereign king and he takes all these domains and he creates realms of authority. And if you're a parent, you know, part of being in authority is a privilege but also a calling to be the one who is called to care the most. To be the one who is called to carefully consider every factor and difficulty so that you create conditions of flourishing for those God's given you. You understand that as a parent. You're the one who's supposed to fuss the most over your child. You're the one who stays up. You're the one who is to fight for and fuss over them and lead them and you're to be troubled over their troubles. You're to be courageous in caring for them. We understand that in realms that God's given an authority, but I wonder how much this is a part of our discipleship and life of following Christ, that Christ has done that in the church. He's actually appointed people who are to be troubled over your troubles, who are to lose sleep for you, who are to care and carry your burden. And I wonder if we recognize that as a gift of grace. God gave Moses this rule, this role among the beloved people of God, the covenant people. And before we look at the two points, I want us to consider the guiding statement, bearing the burdens of God's beloved people. Verse 10 points to the belovedness of his people when it says, the Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Well, how would that point to God's people being beloved? Moses here in his sermon is simply reiterating the promise to Moses, to Abraham, excuse me, that he would make his seed a multitude and that Moses is saying that promise to Abraham to call you as a special people is happening. It's being realized right here on the plains of Moab. For in Genesis 15, 5, Abraham, it's recorded, God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so when Moses preaches in verse 10, that the Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven, that is covenantal language of promise that you, not on the merits of yourself, are a special people before Yahweh. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, he says, I chose you because you were the least, the smallest. There was nothing that merited my choice of you. And so Moses begins with, you're, you're God's beloved. You are realizing the promise. And then verse 11, may the Lord, the God of our, your fathers, again, a covenant connection, a family, may he make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. And so the first thing to recognize in this text is that to be in the covenant community is to be the people who are beloved by God. 
We are people of promise. That's why we speak of bearing the burdens of God's beloved people. You can see here in verse 11 that Moses is asking, which is stunning, he's asking for God to increase the blessing of people, which helps you to know that the burden that he bears is twofold. The burden is because of the blessing and because of brokenness. The burden's because of the blessing. God is blessing the people. They are multiplying as even started way back in Genesis 1. And so as the proverb says, more cows in the barn, you know what's on the floor. We, we want to beg God for increase of people. We want to beg God for increase in evangelism. We want to see God extend his kingdom. And when he does that and blesses, it will be its own burden because of the blessing. But it's also a burden because of the brokenness. Moses has a problem of oversight practically. He, he's trying to figure out how to take care of all God's people because there's so many of them. And yet in verse 9, he says, at that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. And then he goes into the belovedness of the people. But verse 12, he turns to bearing the burden because of brokenness. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? The responsibility of biblical leadership among his people is weightier because God's beloved people and its leaders are not perfect. We're broken. And that creates a burden in addition to the blessing of how many. Moses' burden is in part the fruit of blessing, but also a function of sin, problems, burdens, and disputes. And this calls to mind in Numbers a passage I find particularly uh, encouraging, I'll just say. Moses in verse 10 of chapter 11 says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. And then he prays this. He says to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. Moses is basically saying to God, these are not my people. These are your people. And I need help bearing the load. What I don't want you to hear is, well, this morning our pastor told us we were all a burden. It was great. 
You are. And so am I. Let's just be honest. We're messes. We're sinners. We're grumblers. We're complainers. Right? Let's just be honest. Does that create a burden? Yes. Who bears it? The leadership. As rightly so. But here is the difficulty of bearing a burden as a leader, as said in another Wendell Berry short story, Desirable Woman. Speaking of a man, Pastor Williams Milby, and said he had the gift of comforting. And yet as it was a comfort of, to others, it was a burden to him. And here's why, please hear this. His calling admitted him into the presence of troubles he could not mend. And thus leaders in God's church should be full of inadequacy. Because we are constantly bearing burdens that we cannot mend. And thus the face of leaders in Christ's church should be tear-stained and upward looking to heaven. And I know sometimes in the flock, you really hope if you come, we might can mend it up. But we can't. We're a people that have the word and prayer. And so together we can bear one another's burdens as Galatians 6 says, but the reality of leadership in Christ church, and I am, I'm speaking today to all of us, I'm speaking to our elders and their wives and to all of the congregants here as we consider what it means to be a burdened community. That's what we are. We're a burdened community, why? Because we're, we're a lot of us, we have four services, and that's a lot of sin. We need a big savior and we have one. And he's given us leaders to help prop us up in the struggle. And therefore, particularly to the leaders, to really any leader in any realm, one of the best marks you can have is inadequacy. To have the words that Moses said, how can I bear by myself the weight? And the answer from heaven is, you can't. Welcome to leadership. That would be true for any parent, any teacher, any principal, any military person, any boss. You can't. The mark of biblical leadership is neediness. And it's sacrifice. Thus it's costly. And so, the application of this I would give really specifically. I'm, I'm asking you, pray for your leaders in this church. Please, the burdens are many. Not merely because the people are burdensome. It's the reality of being the people of God in a broken world. Pray for your leaders to be needy, courageous, 
and sacrificial in bearing burdens. Pray for your leaders to know, I cannot mend all of these troubles. That would be my application for you if you would take that home today. How can you do that? I would encourage you every year when this is put out, save it, put it in your Bible, in your journal, and use it for prayer. There's pictures of leaders. Pray, pray. This is at the heart of our renewal is leadership that follows the way of a covenant God. Pray. The text tells us two marks of that leadership. Bearing the burdens of God's beloved people calls for leadership first in verse 13 that shared and delegated. 13 says, choose for your tribes wise understanding and experienced men and I will appoint them as your heads. I'd like to point out, as this leadership is shared, Moses can't do it alone. It's delegated. Moses needs many around him. The people need many, but it's also nominated. Who chooses the leaders? Just look at it. The people. Now, real quick, I mean, I think Deuteronomy is going to be highly practical. There's going to be a lot of family talk here. But it is given to you as congregants by God in his design of the community that you would choose your leaders. And in a minute, you're gonna see the qualifications that we should consider when choosing them. And yet I must say, one of the biggest disappointments annually is how little the people of this church turn in nominations for leadership. That is not in accordance with the word of God. So when that letter comes, think obedience. And might I just say, there's 10 slots for two offices, 20 names, and you may think, I don't know 20 people. Can I tell you something? Just write one or two. You don't have to fill it up. God designed his covenant community. It's not our invention. God designed it that the people would choose their leaders and that together then we would go in God's way. And so pray for your leaders, nominate your leaders, but also notice Moses is pointing to, get ready, Presbyterianism. You're like, the good news of the gospel is Presbyterianism? Hey, I don't get to preach on this much. So just enjoy learning about God's gift of church polity. I have never been so thankful for Presbyterianism than in these last two to three years. Never. I do not love Presbyterianism and plurality of leadership, which is the design here. I do not love it because it's efficient, because it is not. I love it because it's God's command and it doesn't make the people dependent on one. That cannot be, that shall not be. I, I remember going into a drugstore uh, during, during COVID and somebody saw me and they just said, well, hey, when are you, when are you me, right here, me, when are you gonna make a decision and change some things? I said, well, well, ma'am, we're Presbyterian. I'm not the boss. What? 
You're the lead pastor. I'm one of many. I'm one of many. Yeah, but don't, don't the pastors make all the decisions? No, we're just a committee of the whole of the session. You may be thinking, this is about the most boring sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> I live here. I'm so grateful for elders that pray, that shepherd, and that there is wisdom in the many. And when, when we get in a room and we talk honestly, but we come out united, I trust by God's spirit, he's leading us and it's not because of me or any one person. That should make you really happy. You should give thanks that this church is not dependent on a Moses. It's dependent on God who appoints his leaders. And at the heart of those leaders, if you go to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Listen to this. Be shepherds of God's flock under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, servant leadership at the heart of shared and delegated leadership. Now, the qualifications are that they should be wise and godly, verse 15. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribe. And I charged your judges at this time. And he goes on to speak of how they should be. But before that, look back at 13. They should be wise, understanding, and experienced. Wisdom, godliness, should be at the heart of those we choose to lead God's people. And Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Deuteronomy 6 goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength to show that wisdom leads to godliness as the fear of the Lord infiltrates every area of life. And so as you choose, choose those who are wise and godly. Notice I'm not saying perfect because I've already told you, your leaders also have burdens from sin. Competency should be considered as well. Look at verse 15. There's some that you would select to lead thousands, some hundreds, some fifties, some tens. That means people have different gifts. Not everybody can lead thousands. Some can lead tens. Know not only the character, but know the competency. And if you apply this to the whole body of Christ, we all have diverse gifts that God's given us to use. Listen to Romans 12, verse four. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, those gifts are from grace, let us use them. 
So it might be, based on this, a sin not to use them. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who, act with, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Listen. Let the people with their various gifts use them. You know what is always incredibly perplexing about being in a very large church like this? Is that we are always struggling for volunteers. Part of our renewal is that we stop as a body having the mindset that someone else will do it. But instead begin to say, God, based on how you've made me and the gifts you've given me, might I be that someone who will do it? So that together we serve with our diverse gifts. That's the calling for a renewed people. Renewal will get us away from a consumer mindset of church where I come to church, I sit, I receive, I go home but to a giving mindset of church where I receive in order to give. So leaders have to think about their competencies related to their gifts, but all in the body must do that. And then there's a very clear challenging but clear calling to biblical leaders. Just look with me as we wrap up in Deuteronomy 1:16. First is righteous judgments. And I charge your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You pray, as I mentioned, for your leaders that we would do what is right, that we would make judgments that are right, that we would not see justice or righteousness as a commodity that we might could control, but first is God's alone. Pray that your leadership would love what God loves and hate what God hates, so that there might be right judgments. But then verse 17 goes on, you shall not be partial in judgment. No partiality. No preference for the prestigious or the powerful. No preference for the poor. No response to the question, do you know who I am? Yes, but that is not a factor in the judgment. Your status, your appeal, no partiality that we make our decisions before God for the good of the people. He goes on, you shall hear the small and the great alike, no partiality, you shall, but then hear, no fear of man. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. No fear. Any place where you're a leader, no fear of man. If you're a parent, no fear of your kids. Do not parent out of fear of them. Do not lead out of fear of any person. Lead before God in a courageous way. That's what Joshua will be told later. But I listened to these verses 
And I realize that fear is a cruel and crippling enemy of leaders because it is so easy, even in preaching, as I read a text and I think, faces pop up to me. When I say this, I'm going to get this. It would be easy to preach as fearful of man, but here, no fear. You preach before God. I love these four collected verses. You might want them as you lead in your realm. Psalm 56, 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Psalm 56, 11, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 118, 6, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then Hebrews 13, 6, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I am not afraid. What can man do to me? What a great refrain for living with courage in a fearful time. But then last in leadership, verse 8, verse the end of 17. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. Moses says, you can come to me. Well, who's the greater Moses? Jesus. So there is no Moses in our human leadership of the church. What higher power do we appeal to? As he says, you shall come up the ladder. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me. That's us praying. When things are hard and difficult, where do you go in leadership? You don't go to Moses. You go to Jesus. And can I say, your elders, your pastors, they're not Jesus. They're not Moses. And sometimes we would like to appeal to somebody like a Moses, and then we don't have to deal with Jesus. But I find in leadership that what would be wonderful is if people would begin to deal with Jesus and then see how the leadership can help in that way. I hope that makes some sense. Our appeal when things are too hard is not first to a Moses, it's to the better Moses, Jesus. And so in applying this text today, be very grateful that God has not left you alone in your walk. He has given people to prop themselves up against you, to pray and to bring God's grace to you. But also if I could just call, pray, pray, pray. Pray for your leaders and go to the better Moses, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, every part of it. Passages like this, we might think, well, I'll just read over that, but you have something to say to us. You have something to say to us about our life together as a flock here. Lord, we're asking for renewal. So we pray you would renew our leadership. We pray you would renew our people. 
We pray that you would renew our hearts to know that there is one greater than Moses, Jesus, and we have access to him by your spirit. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.